All right. If you would, turn to Exodus chapter 32. As a church, we have been journeying our way through the wilderness with the nation of Israel in the book of Exodus. We've been walking and working our way through Exodus for many months now, and much, much has happened. Exodus tells the story of God's great love for a people who he has called his own, who belong to him. And it's a, in many ways, as we read through it, it's a gripping and it's a, a vivid story of God saving in Israel. And for, for hundreds of years, these men and women were slaves in this country called Egypt. And over time, for over 400 years they were there, over time as they were in Egypt, they forgot the covenant promise God had made to Abraham and that had been told down through generation after generation, they forgot. And over time, they began to adopt Israel or Egypt's way of life. They adopted Egypt's gods. They adopted Egypt's living. And so they are, they are people who have begun over this many hundreds of years to become more Egyptian than they have to become Israelites. But in the perfect time, God sends a deliverer. He, he sends a man named Moses. And Moses speaks on behalf of God. He mediates on behalf of God for the people of Israel to Pharaoh. And he tells Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh refuses stubbornly in his pride. And so as we have read, God sends plagues upon Egypt. And, and those plagues, which are stories in themselves, They are used by God to free, to release Israel from the Egyptian slavery that they were under. And as the story goes on, it gets even more exciting as as God rescues them at the Red Sea. He parts the Red Sea and he destroys the Egyptian army. And then he leads them into the wilderness and he provides them with, with water and with food and he provides them with protection. And eventually they make their way to this place called Mount Sinai, which in Exodus 3, when Moses is encountering God at the burning bush, God says to Moses at that time that he will bring the people of God to this very mountain where they will serve and worship him. And throughout this wilderness journey, Israel makes their way being led by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. God leads them to back to this mountain, this mountain where the burning bush was, this mountain, this mountain Sinai. And it's there where these people are camped. And on that, on that mountain, Moses goes up and he, and he meets with God and, and God is covering the mountain. And then God speaks from the mountain to this nation of Israel. And he says 10 things, and we know them as the 10 commandments. He speaks the 10 commandments to Israel. And three times throughout this, this journey and in the earlier chapters, Israel's response to all that God is telling them. In Exodus 19, Israel responds, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then in Exodus 24, they say again, all, that the, wor- all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
And then later on in Exodus 24, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And so Israel has placed themselves under God's authority, placed themselves under God's word. And here they are camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. They are near to God. And soon, as we studied just a few weeks ago about the tabernacle where God will have this tabernacle, this, this tent in the middle of the Israelite community. And in that room called the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant is, is where God's presence will dwell. And God will dwell among His people, not high up on a mountain, not in just a pillar of fire or a cloud, but God will dwell among His people. He will be in the midst of them. But then something happens that threatens to change everything that God has spoken. Moses has been up on Mount Sinai for 40 days. It's the end of chapter 31. Moses had been up there hearing instruction from the Lord. And as God finishes these instructions to Moses, as God inscribes on the tablets the Ten Commandments, it says with the finger of God, as everything is wrapping up, something dramatic happens. And Israel, Israel, as Moses will soon discover, has, has been diving deep into trouble. Read with me, and I'm going to read chapter, much of that chapter 32 but we'll be studying all the way through 34. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, this golden calf. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people. (laughs) Notice this. Go down for your people, whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Now, remember in in chapter 19, the Lord reminds Israel all that he has done for them and that he is the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt. God is the one who did this. Back in chapter 20, verse 2, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And now in the midst of this, this rebellion and this idolatry, these people have turned from God and they're now worshiping this golden calf. 
God turns to Moses and said, hey man, they're no longer mine. They are your people and you brought them out of Egypt. He said, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I, make, I may make a great nation of you. All of Israel's promises to obey come to a complete and tragic end and ruin when they return to their Egyptian idolatry. It becomes all too clear that this sad, in this sad event that it was, it was much easier, much easier to take Israel out of Egypt than it was to get Egypt out of Israel as they worshipped these false, this false idol. And in this story, in chapter 32, in chapter 33, in chapter 34, we're going to see three powerful events that occur. And these powerful events, these three events, these three chapters, they're a, they're a wonderful, wonderful foreshadowing of the gospel of Christ. A wonderful foreshadowing of the gospel. The first thing we see in chapter 32 is Israel's great sin. Moses has been gone for for 40 days and 40 nights, and and Israel has grown weary, and they've grown impatient, and they've grown fearful. And it doesn't take long for this, this amazing journey that they're on to turn tragic. It's been a, an, a journey of redemption. God has, has saved them. He's brought them out of Egypt, and now they've turned away from God, and it's become a tragic event in their lives. And after hearing the Ten Commandments, after promising to obey all that the Lord has commanded, commanded them, Israel violates the commandments left and right. They, they lied to God by turning aside from the promise that they had made to always follow them. And so they broke the ninth commandment. They, they fashion an idol out of, out of gold, and, and they call it a golden calf, and they, and they call it God. So they worship, and they name it, breaking the second and third commandments. And, and then they worship this golden calf. They fall down. They bring offerings to it breaking the first commandment. They give glory to this idol. The glory that only God deserves. And then it only gets worse. When Moses comes down the mountain in 32.15, then Moses, Moses comes down the mountain he hears from God, and then, he, and then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, no, it's the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as he came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned hot. 
Aaron was left in charge. Aaron and her, to be exact. And, and Aaron just loses control of the people. And then he's confronted by Moses in, in verse 21. And Moses says to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you've brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, oh, oh let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You, you know the people. So here's the first blame shift. You know these kids. They're just out of control. You know these people. They are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this golden calf. My daughter, Jenny, was about six years old. Jenny, and she said I could tell this story. She was, Jenny's an artist. She's a professional artist. She, but she was drawing from the time that she, was, she could hold a, a, a pen or a pencil or a crayon in her hand. And, and when she was about six years old, um, six and a half, one day, uh, we noticed the name Carrie written on the wall. And we went to Jenny and we said, I said, how, what happened here? And, and Jenny said, well, well, it's Carrie's name. She wrote it. And we said, well, honey, Carrie's only three years old. She doesn't know how to write. And Jenny said, I don't know what happened. <laughs> just like the Israelites, just like Aaron, I don't know what happened. I was, I was just walking by the fire and all this gold fell out of my pocket. And the next thing I look, there's this golden calf standing right next to me. And we thought, let's, let's worship this golden calf. Oh, the ridiculous excuses we could come up with. Oh, officer, I, I wasn't speeding. I was just going downhill so fast. I didn't realize I was going downhill. No, we come up with excuses, and that's what Aaron did. And, and this, this, is, this is a tragic story of what happened. They, they, they are greatly sinning. Moses in, in 21 says, and Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? A great sin, the great sin of Israel. How did they get here? They got here because they lost trust in God. They got here because they lost trust in the mediator that God sent to them. And they became fearful and they became impatient. And, and they do what we often do. They turned to their own devices. They turned to their own efforts in times of trouble, in times of, of waiting. And they tried to make things happen themselves. Where is this Moses? They panicked. Where is this Moses? Where is this God? Which is... Which is so perplexing. You think about it. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai. Clearly, earlier we read that when Moses went up to the top of Mount Sinai to meet with God to get instructions, the cloud of God, God's glory came down on the mountain where Moses was dwelling, and it was there for 40 days and 40 nights. All they had to do was turn and look to the top of the mountain, and God's presence was evident right there. And all they could say is, where's God? They panicked. 
They, they thought, is, is he coming back? Did he, did he leave? And, and you know, you, I mean, we all have experienced situations like that where we've just waited and waited. When, when Marilyn and I were engaged, and we remained engaged after this incident, when we were engaged, I was, I was uh, an, in a wedding, and Marilyn was going to pick me up because back in those days when we were, we were dating in the 70s, I did not have a car with air conditioning, and Marilyn did, and it was an August wedding, and so she agreed to drive me to the wedding, and she was my, my date at the wedding, and, and so I had to be there. I, had, I was one of the groomsmen, and so I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm looking at my watch, and now Marilyn's a half hour late. Now Marilyn is an hour late, and, and I am panicking, and so I finally decided, sweaty body and all, I'm going to drive to the wedding myself. So I get in my car, and as I'm driving, I pass by Marilyn, and she's coming. So, so it, was, it was one of those moments where I panicked, and Marilyn eventually made it, and when I got in the car, the first thing I said was, hi, which kept us engaged at that moment. <laughs> I was tempted to be angry. I was tempted to be angry. And that's what Israel did. They got angry. They got angry at God. They got angry at Moses. And so they did everything that they were not supposed to do. And it was their great sin. It was their, it was their lack of trust in God. But there's no, and there's no excuse for their rebellion. God has been with them from the moment they left Egypt. And so in their fear and in their anger, they turn away from God. And, and look, think of this. Rather than being builders of this tabernacle that is just about is supposed to be built to use the skill that God gave them to work with gold, to create the Ark of the Covenant, to create the furniture, to use that skill rather than for God. They use it to fashion an idol that they will worship. Oh, brothers and sisters, that is, that's, the, that's the first event here, Israel's great sin. But second event is Moses' timely mediation. Moses stands between God and these people. Look back in, in verse 10. God says, Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. While still on Mount Sinai and burning with anger, God informs Moses of all that has happened. And because of Israel's great sin, he is going to destroy Israel. But he's still going to keep his covenant promise because he's going to do it through Moses. That's what he says. But Moses will have nothing to do with it because Moses is not only their mediator standing between Israel and God. Moses is one of them. Moses is an Israelite. These are his people. And so he, he does not, he implores God. And here, here he is, the, this first intercession on behalf of the people. 
verse 11 of chapter 32, but Moses implored the Lord his God and said, oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of Egypt? So now we're trading back and forth. Moses, these are your people that you brought out of Egypt. And Moses is going, no God, they are your people that you brought out of Egypt. And there's this, there's this back and forth. And so Moses pleads with God, oh, please don't, don't destroy them. And th- these are, are your folks you brought out of Egypt with your great power and your mighty hand. Why, why should now, here's the reason, why should the Egyptians say that you brought them out to kill them? And so Moses implores God, but God, God is, he's done with Israel. He relents in putting them to death. Verse 14 of chapter 32, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So Moses is able to intercede this first time and and God relents. But God says, look, I, I won't kill them, but I am going to have nothing to do with them. Moses, after he had come down and he had seen all that was going on and he confronted, he confronts Aaron and then he, he gets to, in, in 31 and 32 of, of, chapter, of chapter 32, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. And so, God won't destroy Israel. But we read here, he won't, at this moment, forgive them either. They they need to be punished for their sin. Moses is pleading with God, okay, Lord, you, you won't destroy them. Here's the second request I have. Don't, you know, don't hold this against them. Forgive them. And God says, oh, no, no. They, they need to be punished. And so as we see in, in verse 25, Moses stands and he, and he says, who is with the Lord outside the camp? And then they go through the camp, all who said they were with the Lord, and they put to death by the sword 3,000 that day in response to their rebellion and their worship of this idol, the golden calf. But it gets worse. And as you read in 1 Corinthians 10, God, God not only has those 3,000 put to death, but another 20,000 are consumed on that day. The consequence of sin. Now, Moses says, listen, here's what I'm asking. If you won't blot out their sin, put their sin on me. Take my life on behalf of theirs. Let me die for them. And God tells Moses, absolutely not. And it's because Moses is insufficient as a savior. Moses is a man. He's a sinful man. And he cannot pay for the sins of Israel. They need to pay for their own sins. And then Moses prays a third time in in chapter 33, verses 12 through 18. He intercedes. The Lord has agreed not to destroy them. He 
but he refuses to go to the promised land with them. So, so okay, Moses, I've, I've relented. I've not killed these people, but here's, what, here's what's going to happen. I'm not going to Israel. I'm not going to the promised land with Israel. I'm not going to go before them. I'm not going to be with them. I'll send an angel, but I am not going to be with them. In verse 33, chapter, in verse, chapter 33, verse 2, he says to, to Moses, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. So there we go, back and forth. No, 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 Moses, I didn't bring them out of the land. You brought them out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites. And all the others go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. I will not go up among you. Now, there's a reason why God won't go up among them. Because, first, they are a stiff-necked people. They are rebellious. They are proud. But then he says this in in verse 3, I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way. So here, here it is. God, is. God in His mercy is saying, listen, I'm not going, I am not going to go with, with Israel to the promised land because the likelihood exists that on the way, I'm going I'm to take them all out anyway. They are a stiff-necked people, and so they will die. And so in my, in my mercy, I, I won't go. I'll send an angel who will, who will drive out all of these other nations before you, so we see the mercy of God coming, but God will not go. And, and we see in, in, in verse 4 of chapter 33, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. They, they, were, they were devastated. God is not going to go with us. And so Moses pleads with God, please go with us. And in chapter 33, verse 18, Moses says, Moses tells the Lord, please show me your glory and, and, and make all your goodness pass before me. And, and what Moses is saying there is, look, Lord, if you are with us, if you're glorious with us, it means you are with us. And God responds by willing to do that. And so we see that Moses is Four times he mediates, he prays, and he, he, he brings this mediation between God and Israel. And then the third event is God's merciful redemption. This is, it's an amazing turn of events. This, this people of God have rebelled. They have worshipped a golden calf. They have turned away from God's commandments. They have broken God's commandments. They have, they have mocked God. They have ridiculed God. And God at first was going to kill them, and now he won't kill them. And, and, and then he was not going to be with them, and now he will be with them. God has, has turned in mercy. And in, in chapter 34, God God's merciful redemption, it's described. We see who God is in this moment. Look at verses 6 and 7 of chapter 34. Let's start with verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with, with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious 
A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. what, What we discover in the Old Testament, and in these three chapters in particular, In this Old Testament story, we see a New Testament story of redemption, one that we find in Christ. You have great sin that separates God from the people he has created, great sin that is worthy of death. And then you have a mediator who comes in and stands before God and pleads on behalf of God's people that he would forgive them. And then you have God stepping forward and saying, this is who I am. And and we see this in the Old Testament as God declaring who he is, but we see it in the New Testament in Christ who came and dwelled among us. And we see here God, this merciful God. And, And the headline over all of this is a verse that we well know in Romans 5. Where sin abounds, God's grace abounds even more. God is is willing to start all over again with Israel solely based not on anything Israel has done and not on anything Moses offered to do in giving up his own life. God is willing to start all over again with Israel based on these two verses in 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. This culmination of this gospel story where we see sinner and mediator and redeemer is is a gospel story. Israel is guilty of sin that cannot be taken away by human means. Guilt can only be removed by one, not Moses, but by Jesus Christ, God himself, who takes away all our sins by the God-man, not just a man, but by the God-man, Christ who is our mediator, who died on our behalf on the cross for our sins. It's only after God reveals himself in in 34, 6 and 7 that Moses sees the grace of God. And he can appeal to God to forgive these people now. In verse 9 of 34, Moses says, And if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. And that's, that's what God does. He renews his covenant with Israel. And as you read in the rest of 34, you see the covenant is renewed. God renews this covenant. Brothers and sisters, in, in the raging storm of Israel's sin, God never abandons them. The, the temporary tent of meeting that we see here where Moses is meeting with God eventually becomes the tent of meeting in the midst of God's people. God relents. God 
God draws near to his people and he, in his presence, he forgives sin as we see throughout the thousand, a thousand year history of Israel where the Ark of the Covenant is in the, tent, the holy place, the most holy place, the high priest goes in, he sprinkles blood, and Israel's sins are forgiven again and again and again. And finally, God, in his great mercy, great mercy, where, where sin cannot be forgiven except for the perfect sacrifice, Christ comes. Jesus comes and is the fulfillment of all that happens in this story of the golden calf. This is a a sobering account that reminds us that that God does punish sin. There are always consequences to sin. And sometimes those consequences, as we read here, where 23,000 died, sometimes the consequences are are severe. But but even there's even something greater than our sin. And if we are repentant and willing to humble ourselves before God, as Israel did here in chapter 33, if we are willing to humble ourselves in confession, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we are willing to do that, God's grace is always ready to forgive and to cleanse and to transform. And where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. My friends, we are both sinner and saint. And God reminds us this morning in this story that there is forgiveness in his son, Jesus Christ. His gospel is truly good news. And if, if like Moses, we cry out to God, he will hear us as he did Moses. He will forgive us as he did Israel. And he will be merciful to us as he was to his people because he loves us, because he is always faithful to his promises. What a wonderful gospel story. Great sin, a mediator, and a redeemer. The golden calf is not just a story of failure, but it is a story of faithfulness, the faithfulness of God. Father, thank you for this time we have this morning. Thank you for the joy of gathering together to celebrate your goodness and your mercy and your forgiveness. And we we ask that as we close out our day today, you would be present among us, encouraging us as we seek to encourage and serve one another. In Christ's name, amen.